0: Nobody
1: questions things in this country anymore.
0: Nobody wants to rock the boat.
1: It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything. To question everything
0: they read, everything they hear. You're listening to Question Culture, History Edition. On these special History Edition episodes, we discuss American history using Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States as our guide. On this episode, we'll be continuing our discussion of Chapter 10, The Other Civil War. And once again, we're joined by our friend, Derek Malinowski. How's it going, buddy?
2: Hey, I'm good. Thanks so much for having me back on, guys.
0: And as always, my co-host, Larnette. How's it going?
2: Hey,
1: what's going on, everybody? Lornet Vestal. Um, I want to thank all the folks who continue to listen to us. Um, it's awesome. Brian and I didn't expect that anybody would listen to us <laughs> to see random dudes putting out a podcast. So uh, thank you all. And also, you can check out, uh, go deep dive in some of our conversations or um, topics um, on my website, The Evolving Man Project at lornettevestal.com. Also, if you are tired of the regular doom and gloom of our podcast and and want to have a little summer read since summer's coming up, or while you're getting your summer fit body or what whatnot you can check out my debut novel with my lovely wife Bernita Haynes, even the faders also uh, coming soon um, when I say just soon June of two thousand twenty two we'll have the sequel uh, Aya and the Alphas to even the faders, so there'll be a part two that you can check out um, as we expand the faders and alpha. Alpha's Universe. Um, so really cool stuff coming here. Um, and we got some short stories about connects the universe on my lovely wife's uh, website, Bernita dot com. And also um, you can check out my website, the Evolving Man Project or just Lorna and and You can follow me on Twitter, Evolving Man LBV, uh, where you can send me messages of love or you know, if you hate the podcast and <laughs> don't agree with our politics, we can have a debate about that. Um, even with the libertarians, because a lot of you have the libertarians, but <laughs> let's let's um, and thanks, Derek, for uh, joining us again. We're glad we didn't scare you away. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so last time we kind of just you know stopped after an hour or so, kind of randomly in the middle of the chapter, and I thought it was interesting because I feel like the first kind of two interesting quotes from the book that I marked down to start this episode really, um, kind of relate to right now and our last podcast episode, kind of talking about Russia and Ukraine, because um, he mentions the idea of class, class consciousness kind of not being around in a time of war. War is used as a way to suppress that. Um, Howard Zinn says in the book, Class consciousness was overwhelmed during the Civil War, both North and South, by military and political unity in the crisis of war. That unity was weaned by rhetoric and forced by arms. It was a war proclaimed as a war for liberty, liberty, but working people would be attacked by soldiers if they dared to strike. Indians would be massacred in Colorado by the U.S. Army, and those daring to criticize Lincoln's policies would be put in jail without trial, perhaps 30,000 political prisoners. And that just kind of reminded me of the moment right now where so much of the news, I mean, if we're being completely honest, not that the war in Russia Ukraine doesn't have anything to do with the U.S., you know, because we're part of NATO and things like that, but it is a war on the other side of the world that, you know, technically, you know, we're supplying arms, but really it's not a part of what's going on in our country. And yet it's been all that is dominating the media. So literally, like, I think the most, you know, important issue of our time right now is climate change. Um there's fucking nothing on that and it's just super interesting to me that the war is consistently used to kind of just suppress any other you know there's no talk about inflation in the country there's no talk about
1: you know housing crisis crisis. yeah unemployment um people who are i mean yeah um the the homelessness crisis unemployment the rent crisis because rents are going up housing um, houses are being bought up by investors and, and these companies like Redfin and and uh, Zillow and inflating the prices even more. You got a high, sky high gas prices, and yet the news and media is all about Russia and Ukraine and that you know you should be like Putin's evil and and and, and we got a we got Biden sends $800 dollars more of weapons all nine one point nine billion dollars worth of weapons to Ukraine. I mean like. We should be raging, waging peace instead of war. And yet our country's falling apart. So it, it's just been that way. And I think, um, I think we quoted this in our last episode or our episode coming or the last episode, um, out of the 240 plus years of the United States has existed as a nation. We've had 225 years where this country was at war or supporting some war. So it's just, that's, it's, I think that's all the
2: United States knows is war. I don't think you understand how profitable it is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, learn that. Just get buy some stock go Northrop Grumman and shut the fuck up.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you I get some um, some stocks in Boeing, and you're good to go. And and hey, some Derek, some of those weapons defense industries on those companies, they have women CEOs, so they broke the glass ceiling. And those glass shards turned the drones. Striking <laughs> the villages of poor Afghani children.
0: <laughs> well, as long as it's not a white country, then, you know. Yeah, 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 th- yeah. That's that's so, that's know, pray for Ukraine for and no one else. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um. And, uh, on, and on top of that, what I also thought was interesting and in relate today, he talks about how um, during and after the Civil War, unions really start forming at a massive rate. Um, he writes, All together, by 1864, about 200,000 workers, men, women, and children were in trade us- unions, forming national unions, and some of the trades putting out labor newspapers. And I thought that was interesting because very similar right now, I mean, some of the positive news that I've been seeing is all the unions. You oh, know, yeah. Uh, Amazon Warehouse getting their union. That was fucking awesome. Yeah, Amazon Starbucks. Labor
1: Union. Starbucks is unionizing. Mm-hmm. Um, has someone who works... I mean, someone's a part of a the union themselves and seeing that uh, what our progressive workers union did without, like, we don't even have a freaking website and we organize like the major environmental organizations, Greenpeace, Union of Concerned Scientists, Sierra Club. Um, this is and this is like we started this years ago. Um, and now to see the momentum, thanks. Um, unfortunately, um, one of the only positive, one of the few positive stories to come out of the pandemic is this um, rising class consciousness and people realizing the powers in the unions. And if that not say unions are are perfect or anything like that, but it, it does give the workers some semi balance. And and I wish that the media would report about climate change the way they report about the war in Ukraine and just really get people behind it. But you know, war <laughs> war is also connected to climate change. So one of my professional hopes is to um, get one of the big green organizations to change, to have a, adapt an anti-war policy. So um, we'll see what happens.
0: I'm really excited. Abby Martin has a documentary coming about, and I'm pretty sure it's about the role of the military in climate change and how it's kind of, you know... They're, they're not like a you know a private company that like has to you know report things and we know trillions of dollars get funneled through the Pentagon and no one knows what's happening to it and there's kind of I mean you've talked about Lorette and the Navy just seeing stuff dumped in the ocean and stuff so super excited to uh see that documentary and see what's you know shed a light at what's yeah, going I, on I
2: want to say the Pentagon is is um if not the leading then like top four leading uh, greenhouse gas producer of any entity in the entire world
1: yep mm-hmm yeah. yeah. So the war not only destroys, you know, nations, homes, it destroys, you know, the, the the lives of people who are killed in this place. It destroys the natural environment where the creatures that we share the earth with that we kind of don't care about, as we talked about an ag- animal agriculture show um, and also contributing to climate change. So it's like we are all being uh, driving off a cliff and we have rich senior citizens to to our at the helm of the bus Being like everything is fine <laughs> And it's just like not to say that you know Someone who's older doesn't have wisdom And that you know older older folks are not uh, Don't have a lot of wisdom But the, the people who run the world right now we, we see our senior citizens With a lot of money And they only seem to care about
0: Well, did you, guys, did you guys hear that story about like Diane Feinstein like her staffers and stuff Are like talking about how she's like mentally You know not there and stuff Did you hear about that at all or did, but,
1: or did you see the the Biden shaking a hand with the air and looking at the yeah. flag and just like staring there like but well, where do I go they, I was just like oh god like this man should not be president he should be in a retirement home with his buddies playing checkers and having 24 hour care not isn't running that's what, running what's the crazy
0: world. about like the sickness of power it's like you guys have hundreds of millions of dollars you're going to die within the next you know few years go spend some fucking time with your family and like yes. enjoy your life but they're like so sick with this need for like power and control they like can't stop you know it's like an addiction like a drug it's crazy but what i was going to say too is it kind of shows with all these you know jokingly like senior citizens who aren't mentally with it it, it's kind of taking the mask off and showing what you know how politicians really are puppets for the for the, the powers that be like regular citizens don't want these you know, politicians that are asleep at the helm, but the powers that be do because they make perfect puppets. They just go on the podium, say this, and then, you know, walk away, and it's like all good, and then we don't have to worry about you thinking anything else or, you know, trying to pull anything else. So it really kind of is showing the nature of the system and how corrupt it is. Um, All right, and then another important message that I wish more Americans knew about, um, Howard Zinn talks about... um, union soldiers being used to break strikes so we have all these unions forming and then the union howard zinn writes union troops were used to break strikes federal soldiers were sent to cold springs new york to end a strike at a gun works where workers wanted to wage wanted wage increases striking mechanics and tailors in st louis were forced back to work by the army in tennessee a union general arrested and sent out of the state 200 striking mechanics when engineers on the reading railroads struck, troops broke the strike, as they did with miners in Tioga County, Pennsylvania, and th- that's one of the things, I mean, if I'm being honest, there's three main things that bother me about policing in the United States, it's the, obviously, the fucking racism, and then the um, um, the drug war, honestly, so, I you know, things I think people should be free and to do of their own choice, they're stopping that freedom, but the third thing and maybe the biggest thing to me is police and then by extension the National Guard just kinda all forms of militarism are constantly used to break any kind of fucking, you know, social movement, whether it be social yeah. movement or like unionization financial yeah. movement. So when I you know when I, like, argue with people about police, it's not that, like, I think all police are evil. It's that they are the right, you know, they're used as the blunt, they're used as the fist, the blunt force by the powers that be to suppress. So it's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, I support them when they're constantly used to crush anything. That's what I consider yeah. good.
2: Like, you have a right to protest, but, you know, don't do anything too wily because you're going to get tear gassed. And, <laughs>
1: <Right>. and then <laughs> Americans will be like, well, they shouldn't have been protesting, but it's like, but if we have freedom and freedom of speech, we should be able to protest. It's and a country if, if founded folks, on protest. Exactly. It's ridiculous but, that
2: we can't do it.
1: But this is, the, I think back to, um, you know, the black Panthers and Hugh P Newton and kind of what he referred to the police as, you know, the, you know, the whole flashy term, they would call them pigs and stuff like that. And everyone to be honest, um, the pigs are actually like smart creatures who are, are kind of adorable in their own cute, ugly way. Um, uh, so I was like, ah, maybe that's not fair to pigs to call the police pigs. But anyway, we all he also referred to them as the right hand of the oppressor, because they maintain the status quo. And uh, this is like something that was an argument that came up during Occupy, when some of the you know, and I think these probably were agents or whatnot, being like, the police is part of the ninety nine percent. No, they're not. They're arresting us. They're, they're they didn't, they didn't let us take Grant Park because, you know, mayor you know Mayor Rahm Emanuel was like, no, they're not going to set up a fucking camp. In my city um, and in protest, you know, um, the Chicago Board of Trade every week. Uh, fuck that. So the cops are the right hands of oppressor and they use the National Guard um, and that in this time. And we see this throughout history. So Howard Zan brilliantly lays out how and and as we get into more of the labor movement <laughs> and Labor Day is just around the corner. And, and, and at the end of the summer, uh, we, we, we we're going to see more examples of either. Soldiers or police officers used to break uh, strikes. And even in contemporary times, when the warehouse, when Amazon was uh, trying to unionize here in the South, well, I'm in the South, I'm I'm right next door to Alabama being in Georgia. uh, One of the things that they were using was police intimidation of workers. Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. Well, and there was this other example that happened recently. There was that shooting on the subway in New York that cops didn't do anything about. Yet at the same fucking time, they were clearing out homeless encampments. We, you know, so that just yeah. shows you what the root, you know, motivation of the police force is. It's to do the bidding of the powerful. It's like, all right, they need they need to catch criminals to to have, make the public have this perception that they're there for safety. But really, they're there to do the bidding of the, the powerful. And so it's like, all right, we want to build some shit here. Clear, clear all the fucking homeless people out of the way. Oh, if some people get shot, you know, we'll catch the guy. But like, whatever, you know, big... You
1: know. Oh yeah, well, Brian and Derek, I don't know how many like protests and and, 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 and workers protests and stuff you've attended and and, 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 and and things like that. But especially in Chicago, uh, one thing I noticed, especially if those protests and May Day events and all that stuff uh went through like downtown and the magnificent mile and stuff like that. The the shitty areas, one or two cops, but the nice areas or close to like rich neighborhoods, you have not only cops there, but they're in like riot gear, they're on the fucking Dark night like, horses with the fucking armor and shit. <laughs> they look like fucking stormtroopers. <laughs> and, and then we said an infamous photo from 2020 at the, uh, at the White House um, or the Capitol where they had all those, like, police and, like, military uniforms and, like, their faces was all covered. And they look like a standing army. And we're just like, oh, the freest country on Earth. But the people are uprising. And, like, this is how we're going to show a force. So it's, 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 quite, it's quite insane.
0: During the Black Lives Matter protest in Chicago in 2020, we were very aware the police were trying to push us, the protesters, out of downtown into the poor communities of the city. And luckily, you know, there were some people more seasoned with protesting me who saw what happening and they, you know, were communicating like they're trying to push us here. And like then we had to try and work. We would try and like get to places to get enough people for this for them not to be able to like split us up and push us in certain directions. So I kind of. You know, got a taste in almost. It's it's almost like you know the tactics of protesting, but they were, you know, just like you mentioned, they were very worried. These are the rich, nice neighborhoods. We don't want you here. We want you, you know, go by all the riffraff. Um, and it's yeah. it's just very, you know, obvious when you're in that position. Um, something also I thought interesting about during the Civil War, um, there, uh, uh Howard Zinn writes, there came, um at the Conscri- Conscription Act of 1863, which provided that the rich could avoid military service, they could pay $300 or buy a substitute. And I was just like, ain't that fucking nice. <laughs> yeah,
1: sound like sounds like some of our uh, former presidents who were rich enough to draft dodge uh, during the Vietnam era and not even be conscious conscientious eject- objectors because they didn't have that type of consciousness. They were just like, I'm rich. This war is for the peasants to fight, not...
2: Not yeah, really. I I thought it was interesting. He followed that up with a um with a stanza from a song of the conscripts that was circulated through New York um around the time of the war. And the last line of it, I thought, was really revealing: "We are the poor and have no wealth to purchase liberty." And I'm mm. like, "Yeah,
0: nice. yeah. that <laughs> sounds yeah. about right."
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's like that Bill Hicks quote. Um, if you're so free in America, try moving to another city yeah. <laughs> with no money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you will, you'll move there, but you'll be out on the street at the mercy of the police and everybody else.
0: That purposely, that's another, not to always rag on them, but that's always another argument I hear with libertarians. that are like, you're free to do whatever you want. And it's like, but if you have to have money to do anything, then it's not real freedom. Exactly. You, know, you have to,
1: you have to. Brian, those people should just work harder. They just don't work hard enough. <laughs> I I know (laughs) my dad got me a job at his investment bank. So why can't everybody's dad get them a job at an investment bank? (laughs) Duh. Uh,
0: It's also too like the way in which you are raised. That in and of itself can open doors for you that some people don't have access. So like, you know, I'm part of the working class. I don't have any rich parents. So I had to sell my labor But at least with me, I was raised in a middle class and I and I got, you know, a secondary education. So just the way I speak, the way I know how to write emails like that alone will open doors into industries where if you didn't grow up and get that education, that background and assimilate into society that way, doors will be closed for you, you know, just based off that. And it's not even so even if we were starting because that happens with like billionaires too, where they're like business will go bankrupt and then they'll just start a new one. And it's like, even though at that, you know, that one point they were broke like everyone else, that doesn't mean you don't have, you know, you're kind of raised and groomed to be in the part of the class that you're in in society. So that makes a difference, too. It's not just having the money.
1: Yeah, know? it was having the money, but also like having the the wealth. And and even some of our, you know, well-known billionaires that we know of today, a lot of them started off with with the leg up. <laughs> Uh, even
0: left, even left people that I support, a lot of them that are big enough to be famous um, came from, you know, like Chris Hedges, who I, you know, think the world of is like, you know, one of my favorite journalists ever. He went to Harvard and, you know, he were, you know, w- w- grew, you know, groomed and was in these areas with people. So I, I don't think people like realize there's so many stories of like, you know, the the self-made man and stuff. But, but you know, a lot of them you know, grew up in a situation where that it enabled them. I mean, I was even reading a thing about artists and famous artists and how many of them, you know, like famous musicians, most of them grew, you know, not all obviously, but a lot of them grow up in, in, you know, more well off neighborhoods and things. And that's because, you know, you got to have talent, but you need time to groom that talent. So if you're poor and you gotta fucking be showing up to work all you don't have as much time to home your craft, where if you're a little more well off, you have more leisure time, more time to work on your craft, you're more likely to get really good at it and become famous, you know. So just always gotta think about your environment and, you know, I, so
2: I did find it interesting, you know, he kinda gets into this part of the chapter talking about um a, a common theme that I think you guys have brought up in other podcast episodes is that war is really this um, kind of, it, it's a conflict of the wealthy at the expense, uh, a lot of times, not just economically, but the actual lives of the poor. And he talks about um, the anti-war sentiments on both sides of the war, both in the North and the South. Um, he had mentioned that white workers of the North were not enthusiastic about a war, which seemed to be fought. From a certain perspective, for the black slave or for the capitalist, for basically for anybody but themselves, um, a lot of white workers uh, in the North worked in semi-slave conditions themselves in terms of the quality of the labor, and they thought that the war was merely the profiting of a new class of millionaires. So again, that that conflict between the people that actually want war to occur versus the people that are being forced to fight in those wars through things such as um the draft um and when rec- recruiting for the army began in July of 1863 a mob in new york actually wrecked the main recruiting stra- station um but the drafts were very complex they were anti black anti rich anti republican um And from an assault on draft headquarters, the rioters went on to attack wealthy homes and then also to the murder of blacks. They shot, burned, and hanged blacks that they found in the streets. Many people were thrown in, in the rivers to drown. So you see, even though we kind of consider in the way that it's taught in our history books that the Civil War was this idea of the North wanted to free the slaves, you can see that there was based on what was actually happening on the ground, there was a lot of other outside pressures that amounted to this taking place. It's not like there wasn't racism alive and well in the cities mm-hmm. of the North, as as Howard Zinn, you know, demonstrates in this part of the chapter.
1: Yeah, and for those folks who don't want to read a, read a book <laughs> uh, about kind of what uh, Derek just mentioned in this uh, chapter is that Howard Zinn uh, it's it's reflected in that one movie that came out with Leonardo DiCaprio and Cameron Diaz years ago, Gangs of New York, because um, it, ta- it talks about kind of some of the the the, the divisions in early America, um, and and kind of how um, even in those 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 conflicts that the working people and it was crazy is like those those poor white folks that you know he's talking about who are riding they're they're taking out their frustrations and violence against, you know, black folks at that time. And it's kind of just like those black people were in the same, in you know, a worse boat than you, but like still on the same sinking boat. You might've been mm-hmm. like a second class passenger and they're a third class passenger, but the people in the first class all had their fucking boots, boots on your necks, And like, you're like, let's attack these third class passengers. And that's kind of the story of America where like, I know that there's people who are, strict marxist and like think of like class solidarity and think of like a proletariat revolution and like that's what will solve all the problems in america but uh, we we have so much division and and the racial division is perhaps one of the the starkest one and, and for good reason i mean look at how this nation was formed and look at the, the history so far but it's like if folks if we could get past that I and mean, we would see solidarity with people who would who we would otherwise see don't see solidarity. So you have you know, I have more in common with the with the with the with the working class white guy. Even if even if they're a Trump voter, which is insane to think about. But it's, it's the truth. They're like working class. Uh, or even middle class. Like I'm so technically I'm middle class. I don't own a house, I got a decent job, I'm educated, blah, 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 blah. But I have more in common with them than I do like someone like Bill Gates or or someone who's also a famous rich black person. Let's say Dwayne Johnson. He's a fucking rich movie star. (laughs) I don't have much in common with him. Besides, like, he's half black and I'm black. So that's about it.
0: (laughs) That's what was kind (laughs) of depressing to me about what, you know, Derek read from. Because, like, like, all right, I like the anti-capitalist part of this, you know, riding against the war. But I certainly don't like this racist, you know, just going around killing black people because you think it's like, you know, you're trying to be forced into a war and you're kind of, you know, taking your anger out on the wrong people. But... To Derek's point, that was one of my favorite things about reading this book is up to this point in my life, I felt like so many history books, it was just this side good, this side bad, you know, this, this, and this, where this book really shows the complexity of of humans and how many different people there are with different emotions. And in retrospect, people paint it with the raw, you know, this broad brush. But in the moment, there's very, all types of people have different motivations. And you'll see that like when you go to any kind of protest too, you know, there will be some kind of similar thread, but, but people are there for different reasons, you know, um, like at the Black Lives Matter protests, you know, we obviously were all there for the police brutality. But you know, there were some people who were just there, you know, they just wanted like some police, you know, you know, singular police item change. Some people, you know, were there for, you know, bigger, you know, picture things about police brutality and stuff. So it's, there's kind of all, even within one movement, there's all these different motivations and perspectives. And that's what I really like um, that Derek pointed out and that Howard Zinn points out in the book.
2: And I mean, he goes on to explain how that complexity existed in the South as well, where there were also anti-draft riots. Um, You know, in the South, beneath the apparent unity of white Confederacy, there was still conflict Uh, most whites, two thirds of them did not own slaves. Uh, really only a few thousand families were what made up the plantation elite. Uh, the federal census of 1850 showed that a thousand Southern families at the top of the economy received about $50 million a year income, while all the other families, about 660,000 families received about $60 million a year. Um, So you're like looking at this huge wealth inequality that existed within the South. And really what the war was being fought about was for those elites to protect their right to stay the ultra elite. Um, You know, millions of Southern white uh, whites were poor farmers living in shacks or abandoned outhouses, cultivating land so bad um, that other wealthy plantation owners had literally abandoned it. Um, you know, so the the conscription law of the Confederacy too provided that the rich could avoid service as well, right? So we see that we see that repeated, and um, you know, he asks in this chapter, did Confederate soldiers begin at a certain point to suspect that they were fighting for the privileges of an elite that they could never belong to? And that, to me, relates all across American history, and especially where we are today. We see people that are fighting for the rights of an elite that they're never going to belong to. And they're never going to be welcome to belong to it either.
0: Yeah. That's a,
2: yeah. That's a it's
1: point. like that George Carlin joke. Um, it's a big club and you ain't in it. And, well, <laughs> and, and someone who lives in the South, um, I lived not too far from a place called stone mountain, which is basically a, conf- a, a state park that's privately run. Makes no sense. It's the South. So stay with me. Um, and it's a Confederate <laughs> monument. Like they have the fucking Confederate generals carved into the side of a fucking mountain, and then there's all other type of Confederate monuments throughout this uh, state park. Um, And you think about this stuff; this stuff wasn't here during after the Civil War. Like all this stuff was a a backlash to the Civil Rights era in the 1950s and 60s, when black folks and and other um, people of color were demanding. Their fair treatment under the law and, and, and human dignity also because it wasn't just like black people just marched because they had the right to vote for sorry as Democrats or Republicans no that was it was like we wanted to su- survive and we also want to like not be, not be able to just like be murdered willy nilly by um, racist mobs and stuff like that but anyway but if you if you nowadays some conservatives and in, in folks part in the south and even some sympathizers, Confederate sympathizers up north, because there's Confederate monuments all in the north, in states that had nothing to do with the Confederacy. <laughs> like Idaho and shit. You're like, um, this wasn't even a state <laughs> at the time of the Civil War. But anyway, um, and, and the, 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 the Southerners down here will call the, the Civil War the War of Northern Aggression. But it's like, most people who fought in the Civil War on the Confederate side were like fucking poor poor Joe Blow who didn't have then popped the piss in and they had no choice but to fucking fight because it was either that or go to jail for rich people so it's kind of just like all these people are like southern heritage confederate flag our heritage it's like no like your fucking forefathers would probably be like fuck that war like we didn't own slaves and like we were we were getting fucked too the slaves were getting fucked and we were getting fucked
0: yep and anytime you know it's it's hard to read it's hard to watch but anytime i you know talk anything about war i do like to talk about the violence because at the end of the day that is what's actually happening and when there's these pushes for war and all this propaganda it's never the death and destruction is never talked about and the civil war was the deadliest war in american history um Howardson writes, the Civil War was one of the first instances in the world of modern warfare. Deadly artillery shells, gatling guns, bayonet charges, combining the indiscriminate killing of mechanized war with hand to hand combat. The nightmare scenes could not adequately be described except in a novel like Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage. In one charge before Petersburg, Virginia, a regime of 850 main soldiers lost 632 men in half an hour. It was a vast butchery, 623,000 dead on both sides, and 471,000 wounded. Over a million dead and wounded in a country of a population was of just 30 million. So it's fucking... I mean, can you just imagine being with a group of 800 people? Like, imagine, like, that's like, you know, going to a small concert and just fucking everybody. And, you know, now we look back on, oh, 623,000 dead, and it's just like this number. But every single one of that, 623,000 with somebody's husband, you know, brother, um, uncle, things like that. So it's just, it's... It's, it's just fucking just dis- you know it's shit like that i just look at humanity and i'm like maybe it is a good thing if we die of climate change because we're so we're so fucking you know we like to think of ourselves as so civilized but you don't see fucking you know i don't know turtles having battles where 630 <laughs> of them are dying you know it's just insane um also wanted to point out uh roughly 200,000 people deserted during the war um, so that would have probably been me.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, right. What's
1: well, that quote? Where, like, you know, it's, I think it's like, kill one man. You're a murderer. Kill hundreds. You're a conqueror. Kill millions. You're like a God or some shit like that. Um, I'm probably saying it totally wrong, but that's how I feel. Like kind of when you talk about numbers like this, it's just like, even with the current pandemic, like we have like millions, a million American citizens who have perished. And we're just like, Oh, everything's fine.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. And you're just like, what the fuck? No, that's like someone's family member is fucking dead. And it's just like, yeah, everything's fine. Let's, we don't need the mass. We don't need any, you know, it's COVID's over. Like you have to pay for like getting like a COVID test now, if you don't have health insurance and it's fucking insane. So it's just like these, we have these massive numbers and people are just like, oh, whatever it's, I mean, those yeah. numbers are all a life. Um, we don't know there are good people, bad people, someone in between, um, like most people are, um but they were like someone loved that person who died, someone cared about, them. and that was the same way during the civil war and I know that we always talk about we're on the verge of civil war, and're and, we're like, and I, what's like also funny is like the whole like we're so divided as a country, uh, especially during the trump era, and even now, and it's like we had a literal civil war where Americans shot other Americans uh. All in the interest of rich Americans, because it was the factory owners up north versus the slave holding south and, and the su- a southern elite. And that was that was a war between. It's like we can have these machines that can do a job of 100 men versus like owning actual human shadow. So it was not like slavery, like the Civil War's fought for like all oh, the the moral north was like, you know, slavery is wrong. We shouldn't keep other humans in bondage. It was always about money.
0: And that's what so speaking of always being about money, kind of the next uh, few pages in the chapter, I think are super important because he talks about the developing of the legal system as a way to protect business. Um, And I think that's, you know, back to lab, you know, ragging on libertarians, you can't have business wants the the legal system, the government used as a tool to protect it. So it's not something, you know, like politicians will always be like, oh, you know, we just want government's the problem. We want government gone. And what they mean is they want, you know, government gone, anything that like hinders them, any kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Regulation. And Yeah, any kind of regulation. They don't want to have to worry about that. But anytime it can be used to protect them from workers, they do. Um, Howard Zinn writes, "Under, Under the deafening noise of the war, Congress was passing and Lincoln was signing into law a whole series of acts to give business interests what they wanted and what the agrarian south had blocked before recession. The Republican platform of 1860 had been a clear appeal to businessmen. Now Congress, in 1861, passed the Morrill Tariff. This made foreign goods more expensive, allowed American manufacturers to raise their prices, and forced American consumers to pay more. The following year, a homestead act was passed. It gave 160 acres of western land, unoccupied and publicly owned, to anyone who would cultivate it for five years. Anyone willing to pay $1.25 an acre could buy a homestead. Few ordinary people had the $200 necessary to do this, so speculators moved in and bought up much of the land. Homestead land added up to 50 million acres, but during the Civil War, over 100 million acres were given by Congress and the presidents to various railroads free of charge. Cong- Congress also set up a national bank, putting the government into partnership with the banking interests, guaranteeing their profits. Um,
1: <laughs> and then, one of those like railroads like get they have free money and failed.
0: Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't know.
2: Oh, no, no, the I one, the, the, the one in Wisconsin. Yeah, I think we talked about it in the first half of the.
1: Oh, okay, part. we did. Oh, yeah, so that's that's a funny shit. So yeah, so when libertarians are like the government's the problem and business just needs, it's like the fucking government, as we said in our libertarian episode, aids and abets big business. And I'm sorry, like regular Joe Blow, who has like his little small business. You are not the capitalist, all right. You you might own the bakery, <laughs> you might own your little, you know, um, your small business, but no, we're talking about Jeff Bezos. We're talking about the fucking Vanderbilts. We're talking about the Rockefellers. We're talking about the so-called titans of industry. These these people who own massive corporate conglomerates, not not you at your you know coffee cafe. You're not a capitalist. You're you're just a you're a shop owner. And we've always had shop owners.
0: What's frustrating is this is still going on today. With the, that's one of the reasons the housing market is so out of control. Is that these private businesses now. Are going in and buying up all these houses. They're paying, you know, five, ten times the asking price because they can afford it to get these houses. So then, regular people can't afford a house. Yeah, and it's
1: all to like inflate the prices and, and raise them to you know astronomical numbers where like everyday people can't afford them. And even like my wife and I experienced that in 2017. We uh, found a house we wanted to you know put a bid in, bid on, and I had the GI bill, uh, not GI bill, the VA home loan uh, for to buy a house. And we got undercutted because someone came and they had you know hundreds of thousands of dollars in cold cash, and obviously it was some you know investors or a group of speculators that have that type of resources. It wasn't just a regular. Not many everyday people just have hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just like, hey, I'm just buy a house today. Just here it goes, my cash money, <laughs> right out my checking account or, or savings account. Now these are speculators, so it's the same hustle century and after century.
0: It frustrates me. There's many people in this world that has this mindset that, like, if it's legal, it's okay, and if it's not legal, it's bad. Oh yeah. And it's like there's so much evil shit that's done that's legal. Slavery was but fucking like, legal,
1: right? right. Fucking legal. Right. a human being if you can afford one, and with the right skin color. Let's get that right.
0: <laughs> and um and I and I want to read that this so this guy Gustavus Myers, um, I guess he was a um. A New York, um, uh, New York tenement, um, but he writes, um, "It is not murder compelled by want. People are for- when people are forced to fester in squalid, germ-filled tenements where the sunlight never enters and where disease finds a prolific breeding place." untold thousands went to their deaths in these unspeakable places yet as far as the law was concerned the rents collected by the asters as well as by other landlords were honestly made the whole institution of law saw nothing out of the way in these conditions and very significantly so because to repeat over and over again Law did not represent the ethics or ideals of advanced humanity. It exactly reflected as a pool reflects the sky, the demands and self interests of the growing propriet, property classes.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's a great book. You can read that details that more. I think it comes a few, you know, years after the civil war, but it's called Upton Sinclair's Claire's the jungle. Uh, am I mm-hmm. collecting that? Yeah. And it talks about the c- conditions uh, that the workers worked in and lived in. And it's, the tenements were like slumlords, like guy, it was pretty inhumane conditions of working conditions and living conditions were for the workers.
0: What? Sorry. Go ahead. Lord Derek.
2: Well, I was just, you know, kind of in agreeing with the sentiment from that quote, um, Howard Zinn goes on to say in the chapter that in the 30 years leading up to the Civil War, the law was increasingly interpreted in the courts to suit the capitalist development of the country. The English common law was no longer holy when it stood in the way of business growth. Um, You know, one of these uh, items of law was eminent domain that was used to take farmers' land and give it to canal companies or railroad companies or basically to whatever entity with money wanted wanted it. Um, judgments for damages against businessmen were taken out of the hands of juries, um, which were unpredictable and instead given to judges who could be bought off. Private settlement of disputes by arbitration was replaced by court settlements, creating more dependence on lawyers and the legal profession gained in importance in America. The ancient idea of fair price for for goods gave way in courts to the idea of caveat emptor um, let the buyer beware thus throwing generations of consumers from that time onto the mercy of businessmen and that just continues to this day
0: george carlin has a joke that he said whoever came up with the phrase buyer beware was probably bleeding from the asshole (laughs) but (laughs) um yeah it, it, oh isn't eminent domain isn't that some shit <laughs> like when i first like learned about that i was like wait 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 i thought in capitalism when someone owns property that's their fucking property and if they're paying for it no but really someone bigger on the block can come along and be like oh yeah eminent domain like you need to get out of the way with your little money i got big money to make
1: you know no and it was so funny is like uh, during the um 20 20- 16 election cycle with the Republican side, the 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 ones that the, all the Republicans like, who are like, yeah, you know, it's all about you know freedom and individual liberty and capitalism, and like I own it is mine. Donald Trump was like, I love eminent domain, it's wonderful. I'm pretty sure that's how I used to build some of his shitty Trump towers. Eminent domain, I'm building my 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 phallic symbol in your country <laughs> It's yeah. gonna be well, great. Just-
2: for for anyone that's not aware and for our, our listeners to be aware, the definition of eminent domain um, is the power of uh, the United States government, uh, a state or local municipalities to take private property for public use following the payment of just compensation for said property, which is all well and good, and there are, you know, public reasons for which Private property Mm -hmm. sometimes is better suited to be purchased and used for public means, whether it's maybe for the necessity of a thoroughfare or some kind of public transit or the list can go on. The issue is not so much the eminent domain itself, but when that property is taken and then it's immediately sold off for the financial benefit of a private corporation that's working as a government contractor.
0: Exactly. Well, well said. Um, and I always, it, it, it annoys me when I argue with people about people who just think regulation is the problem with the world and with the country and that, and that it's always bad. Um, I think because because without regulation, I mean, look at this point in history, Howard Zinn writes about, um, it was a time when the law did not even pretend to protect working people as it would in the next century. Health and safety laws were either non-existent or unenforced. In Lawrence, Massachusetts, in 1860, on a winter day, the Pemberton Mill collapsed with 900 workers inside, mostly women. 88 died and although there was evidence that the structure had never been adequate to support the heavy machinery inside and that this was known to the construction engineer a jury found no evidence of criminal intent and that's happened again and again throughout history i mean it just happened with those tornadoes that killed all All those workers in the amazon Amazon, yeah Mm -hmm. the amazon warehouse and it was sad because like
2: and like those people were
1: forced like they were like if you leave to stay you'll lose your fucking job i'm like are you fucking serious like, it's a tornado warning, and they're like, you stay here and work, or you lose your, and it's, it's, it's just disgusting.
0: And it's sad, because, like, now, with modern day with social media, you know, there was this wife of this guy that died in there, where he texted, like, there's supposed to be a tornado company, we're not able to leave, blah, 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 and that was, like, the last text, you know, that she got from him, and it's just, yeah, it's just fucking disgusting, like you said.
2: Yeah, he he goes on right after that to mention that by the middle of the 19th century, the legal system had been reshaped to the advantage of men of commerce and industry at the expense of farmers, workers, consumers, and other less powerful groups within society. The law actively promoted a legal redistribution of wealth against the weakest groups in society.
1: Mm -hmm. Sounds no different than today, huh? Yeah, I know.
0: As much as shit changes, it remains the same.
2: I mean, I think if nothing else, a lot of what we're reading in this chapter and really throughout the book, it's all just showing that so much of what we see happening today has all had a lot of precedent come before it.
1: Yeah.
0: hmm
1: Yeah. All of a sudden, fall out the sky. And it, it's it's very frustrating when you're, you're trying to talk to like your friends or colleagues about these things. And they don't have, they don't understand the foundations. And it's not to say that, like, it, I'm, like, super smart and stuff like this. Because if you put, like, some quantum physics, physics equations in front of me, I'm going to be like, duh, I don't know, <laughs> But the, the, this this is something I, I study. And I don't know everything because, obviously, there's lots of, you know, uh, histories of other countries around the world that I, I don't have a very in-depth understanding I do have a very in-depth understanding about you know, U.S. society because I happen to be an American citizen and, and I studied in the college. But um, it's just people in this country, and I'm speaking for this country, when we talk to them about these things, they're just like, oh, this is the way it's always been. It's like, no, uh, no. And, and, it, and it, it's something that put the wheels into motion to like we get to a point where we can have most of Congress being run by rich people.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think it also goes to show, you know, the, um, the level of deception that goes into those that are in power. Um, you know, he, he mentions, and I, I think that this is just a brilliant line in, in the chapter. In pre-modern times, the maldistribution of wealth was accomplished by simple force or violence. But in modern times, exploitation is disguised. It is accomplished by law, which has the look of neutrality and fairness
0: yep i i highlighted that quote too because yeah he's spot on and it fucking perfectly describes modern times i mean like you know with like the modern black lives matter movement and stuff it's just like what do you you know if you don't break the law you don't have problems you know like you know same thing with like any kind of like cyber security or anything it's just it's oh if you're not you know who cares if the nsa is watching you if you're not doing anything bad it's all fair and it just, it completely ignores the the under, you know, what's going on underneath, right underneath the surface.
1: Oh, yeah. It's all just like laws written to benefit the power. And, and like, at the end of the day, words have no meaning because th- there were treaties signed with the Native Americans, the indigenous people of this country, um, hundreds of them, thousands of them, in that, not to say the least. And every one of those treaties were just about broken um, and still are being broken when they realize oh, this 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 native land has um oil on it or we need to put our pipeline through it so fuck your fuck your ancestral land or you know the land we move you to uh force you your ancestors on we're gonna take it again good luck so words in the grand scheme of things they come to laws words have no meaning it just it just depends on who has more power than the other group and if you have more power the law can say whatever your attorney wants it to say, or a group of attorneys, if you're a corporation or a billionaire.
0: Yeah, like Immortal Technique said, what good is the law if you can't rewrite it? Exactly. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I like, too, in this book, he always talks about, you know, he talks about the, the riots, the protests, but he always sets the example kind of statistically of why people are motivated to do these things. And again, he writes about kind of the, the cities that, that soldiers were returning to after the war. Um, he writes, "...the cities to which the soldiers returned were death traps of typhus, tuberculosis, hunger, and fire. In New York, 100,000 people lived in cellars in, of the slums. 12,000 women worked in houses of prostitution to keep from starving. The garbage, lying two feet deep in the streets, was alive with rats." In Philadelphia, while the rich got fresh water from the Schuylkill River, everyone else drank from the Delaware, into which 13 million gallons of sewage were dumped every day. In the Great Chicago Fire in 1871, the tenements fell so fast one after another that people said it sounded like an earthquake. And, you know, that's kind of like you know flint michigan today where it's just like they still don't have fucking clean drinking water and it's like you know rich people in michigan have clean drinking water but poor people brian we had to give
1: those weapons to the ukrainian people all right we don't (laughs) we have to we have to stop putin he's an evil dictator trying to you know take over the world and we have to stop him and america is arming Zelensky. and what's really interesting about the you know um what you say about flint michigan is there are so many other Flint, Michigan's across the, 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 the nation? Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, nation cities and towns where fracking is just, that's what they do in that town. And people's water, when they turn on the faucet, it catches on fire. <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck? Or it's like brown. And you're like, no one, nobody would drink that. No, not even, nothing, nothing would drink that. Nothing, no living being would be like, yeah, this water's great. Now they're like, what the fuck?
0: No. And what's scary is that's just gonna keep spreading as the environment continues to break down. It'll just happen to more and more people. And that's what sucks... I always feel like one of our problems with like in society is that nobody really truly cares until it happens to them. Exactly. And then they and then they wonder how could this happen, you know? And I feel like this environmental, you know, you perfectly said, Lorna, that climate change is going to be death by a thousand, you know, uh, um, cuts, thousand cuts. Yeah, it's not going to be, you know, we're not all going to die at once. It's just going to be a flood here, a fire here, you know, drought here, famine there, slowly. Yeah. Yeah, and it'll just slow plague here and there, you know, and it'll just slowly pick away at everyone, and it just sucks that we, at least at the moment, due to, the, like, the system, don't seem like we can be proactive about it. We're just endlessly reactive, and it causes a great deal of suffering. Yeah, um,
1: because since the Ukraine war is dominating the global headlines, and in, in the Western media at least... Um, there's there's major climate strikes going on right now, um, not to mention with the unionization efforts. So the only the one thing that does give me hope, even in the midst of all this despair, it's kind of like what we and, and I like the Howard Zane always points to in his chapters is about the resistance um, of, of folks who resisted in big ways and, and little ways. and And that I think that's all a regular person. Um, a normal person can do because I I always hate when people are just like well if you don't like things why don't you run for office to try to change things and it's like you don't like fucking why would you want to become a fucking soul sucking politician like Dr. King Dr. King did way more for human civilization than fucking any president and I don't care any president has ever done All right, Um, and it was just a a regular man Um, you know there wasn't nothing special about him you know he he was smart he was educated but but that's, that's, it wasn't nothing, you know, anything inherently special about him. I mean, any, any other person who just had principles and could, could do the same thing. And when millions of people get together and do that, you know, things can't change. And, and people, people have changed things. So that's, that's what I do like about uh, Howard Zane's book. It's, it's a lot of like, holy shit, things have been fucked for, for since time immemorial in this country. Um, but you also kind of, he lays out the, the acts of resistance that everyday people um, done. And and I think what makes this book so brilliant is is kind of what you said earlier. Like, when we were in school and we learned history, which I don't even think they're learning history nowadays with the whole critical race theory, because how can you teach American history without being like, oh, they were slaves. How did these black people get here? (laughs) Uh, They magically (laughs) appeared. And what happened to all the Native Americans? Um, They disappeared. (laughs) Jesus took them. (laughs) Uh, So I'm like, you're not getting to learn history. But even when we were in school and we did get half-ass history it was just like oh the pilgrim came and they had bread and lunch they had Thanksgiving with the with the Native Americans and everybody sang Kumbaya and there was slavery and it was bad and then Lincoln came along and was like no more slavery and there was some war but we don't need to talk about that and everything was okay and then for some reason in 1963 Dr. King said I have a dream and no more racism and America wins yay and that was our history from elementary school hmm unless you had a cool-ass teacher like I did in uh in uh, in high school, who taught us about the uh, that's why I learned about Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge. Uh, he had he did a whole no semester shit. about that. Yeah,
2: <laughs> in Cambodia.
1: Yeah, yeah, he taught us he, he like and how like the Vietnam War you know kind of led to what happened in uh in Cambodia. Yeah, so it was he was cool. He's married to like a Cuban lady, and he's like yeah, she's I don't know how I got so lucky, but <laughs> he was an interesting t- teacher. I forget, and I I'm so sad I forget his name, but shit, he was pretty, pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, God bless the fucking like, good teachers. amazing teachers. Yeah, good teachers are really, like, God, just so irreplaceable and
2: valuable. Well, um, especially considering, uh, and I'm sure that, you know, from firsthand experience or at least secondhand experience through, through your wife, Brian, like, what they get paid and what they have to deal with, with from parents, uneducated parents, I might add to that. Um, well, I, yeah, <laughs> I
0: mean, I think, honestly, I think that's a <laughs> – kind of a big problem where i feel like when we were growing up and like before that if the teacher said like the kid was misbehaving or like doing something wrong it was the parent and the teacher versus the kid where it was like all right we got it like where now like you got these dumb fucking parents where like their kid is like failing and the parents are like just trying to blame somebody for the failure and it's like all right if you If your kid can't read, you can argue with the school and be like, all right, make this F and A, but that's not going to make your kid know how to read, (laughs) you know? So you're not, you're like trying to like gain the system as if you're winning, but winning is having an intelligent child who can critical think, you know? And there's-
1: But also I think with education as someone who, who, I didn't work as a teacher, but I I worked in education as an administrator uh, for a time and and saw it firsthand- um, actually you know coming through chicago public schools as a student and then working there you know a few years later as an adult um the system of the school how politicized it is you have some good teachers who want to fucking teach like the young people real good shit and like you know just and, and not like hey i'm the teacher so you should just do what i say is god so this is these are some books to read these are some thoughts to have and let's have a discussion and yet the, the system is like, well, you can't teach that. You can't teach this. You can't teach this. And you got to, you know, it's your, my, your wife, and, mine and we talked about the standardized test as she spent most of a year prepping them to fucking fill circles into a little bubble. And so that, it's just a whole system of of, of making that. And, and then you have the parents who are overworked. Now they're, you know, some of them are working two or three jobs. They only have time to fucking sit and read through the kids because they're fucking trying to keep a roof over their head or they're double, doubling up with, another family because i just read an article in an uh, atlanta constitutional journal about people doing that where they're like we can't afford the rent so we're just doubling up in a, in a unit with multiple families just living here um so good time so you're not gonna have a time to like study because like your people are studying struggling so our society is straining that in the system is and our politicians are further politicizing in these think tanks politicizing school where it should just be places of learning but maybe And maybe this is my looking at it. Rosie has an adult um, back when I was a kid, like we learned stuff, but I'm like, maybe those same political battles are being fought because we had to think about Brown versus the board of education. So it's always been a battleground to indoctrinate children into the society. Um, And depending on what color and what class you come from, you had a very different educational experience. And And I thought in Chicago, the tale of two cities. Walter Payton High School was a beautiful high school with lots of resources and like some smart kids that went there. Finger High School, lots of smart kids there and brilliant kids who went there, but very different, different outcomes for a lot of the students, um, and it's all based off the zip code they happen to be from, and unfortunate to be born in, and it's a it's a fucking shame.
0: Well, I like that you point out, like y- yeah, like teaching American history without including racism. I mean that's like trying to teach evolution without being able to talk about fossils yeah
1: well i I didn't come from no monkey brian i came from baby jesus (laughs) who put those bones there intended right yeah intelligent (laughs) design all right the eye it's so complex it didn't come from nothing it came from baby jesus
0: Um. Well, we're at an hour, and I think if we stop here, we can do a part. We have enough material for the rest of the chapter. to Do a part three. So, you guys down to do that?
1: We're, we're gonna spend a lot of time on this chapter. Yeah, I guess it's a long ass chapter. <laughs>
0: it, it it was a long ass chapter, and I mean, I yeah. don't know. Hopefully, listeners, you can tell us. I think it's hopefully more fun to kind of do a little bit of history, but also relate it to modern day rather than just reading straight out the book, which you guys could do yourselves. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We could just do a whole podcast or we just read Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. But that would just, <laughs> just be a, fancy, our own a glorified audiobook um, that's unofficial. Mm. The unofficial, the mixtapes of, of people's history.
0: <laughs> I need to get a better, like, broadcasting voice. My, my voice is way too high pitched.
1: I know. I, don't, I, I do want to ask you all what edition of Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States you have? Because I have my edition. And I think I had that one cuz my wife has a different edition. She has like the last one. I mean, it doesn't my,
2: say it on the cover what edition mine is, but maybe it says it inside.
0: Mine includes uh the uh like the the war on terrorism and stuff, so I think it was an updated one. Yeah. I don't see yeah, I don't see exactly what edition it is. All right, well Let's uh, keep circulating this book because more and more places are going oh, to yeah, trying yeah. to burn. They,
1: they hate Harrison, <laughs> uh, despite the fact that he's a World War II veteran and an awesome dude. So, um, but I guess he went against his his class and white male privilege and talked about uplifting the masses of all races in this country versus just the, the political elite in the in the business money class. So
0: maybe we should end too on I was watching a bunch of speeches uh, this past week and there was one from Martin Luther King and it was like the most inspirational shit I've ever heard. Um, And I'm going to butcher it, of course, uh, not like, you know, him, but uh, it was basically the theme he was talking about how like when there's depressions and people are living, you know, in horrific poor conditions that it's kind of like a valley. And he talks about when people, you know, walk in the valley and they only see despair. I see ground zero for the revolution. And I was like, fuck, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, like that's the fucking attitude we got to have. And th- and that's my hope for this podcast. Like we talk about all this horrible shit and my goal isn't to make you feel bad. It's to hopefully paint a, a more accurate picture of where we are. And then that's when you can, you know, like just being an, an, an uh, addict, the first step is you have to admit you have a problem. So if we ignore all this horrible shit, it's never going to get better. It's only going to get better if we actually fucking face it and then have the the motivation to make it better. But um, thanks, Lornette. Thanks, Derek. Uh, we'll do this again. You know, We'll have a couple regular episodes and then do a History Edition episode again. Um, uh, and, of course, listeners, Derek, if you guys think about any topics you really want to hear about and come on the podcast and talk about, um, you know, run them by me and Lornette. Uh, we're down to to get some ideas. Um, And I just want to thank everyone for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at QCulture, Q-U-E Culture. There we share the links uh, to to more information about the topics we discuss on the podcast. You can also visit Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project, where he discusses topics from question culture and more. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give it a like uh, on whatever platform you're using or give us a review to help us get noticed. Uh, We got our 50th episode coming up next, so we got something special planned for that. Um, So be sure to check that out. So thanks again, everyone, for listening. And remember to question everything. views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian Lornette and their guests and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian Lornette and their guests may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.